You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. As much as I have loved so much of the NBA playoffs so far, after last night's game, there is absolutely one thing that has to be fixed, and it should be fixed right now by the NBA. It's not just the review process. It's what happens during the review process that leads to a distinct advantage, and the NBA needs to do something about it today. Now, I'm sitting there last night, and I'm watching this game. I'm watching just like all of you were watching, and I'm yelling at my TV through the course of the last two minutes of absolute chaos where we're watching two teams in an epic matchup with so much on the line between the Suns and the Clippers. We're watching these two teams go just absolutely back and forth. We see the missed free throws by Paul George. We get all the way to the closing seconds of the game, and we get yet another review. Now, in the last two minutes, the NBA looks at everything. They have the option of looking at everybody, everything. And I have no problem with that. Let me say clearly, I don't care about flow of the game. I don't care if it disrupts your watching experience. I don't care if it suddenly makes everything feel clunky. And frankly, I don't care if the last two minutes of an NBA game takes half an hour. The hell else am I doing that late at night? Nothing. What I care about is competitive advantage. And you cannot deny that last night's game was won on a technicality. I'm not taking anything away from Phoenix. It was a beautiful play as DeAndre Ayton just absolutely slams the ball in with .7 seconds left. Even that had to be reviewed to see how much time remained on the clock. And I'm not going to take anything away from a DeAndre Ayton that yesterday I told you was going to be key in this game coming up big. But it's not about that. It's about drawing up a play during a replay when you're out of timeouts. This isn't rocket science. There's a limit on the number of timeouts for a reason. You look at the way this all went down, and Monty Williams used every single second so perfectly, the head coach of the Suns, to design an incredible play. Couldn't have been surprised by it if you were watching the TV broadcast. In fact, when they were huddled up, did you notice several different Suns players were hitting DeAndre Ayton on the chest? They were pointing at him. They were saying, you. We knew that was going to go to Ayton if you were watching. The question was, how are they going to do it? And they needed every second of a timeout they didn't have to get it done. I'm not the only one who sees it this way. Jeff Van Gundy was with SVP. Talked about the Suns getting this benefit. That never would have been able to happen without that, um, like you guys want to say, such a great review. (laughs) I'm not saying it's a great review. I thought it was appropriate. No, no, no. No, you guys, like, let's just stay here till midnight and, like, review every play. Why is it only the last two minutes we want to get him? Where you want to go over and get to, to, what is it, talking stick? They don't even have credit there. You can't get a marker (laughs) to play cards in that place, man. Like, get it right. It's too important not to get it right. By the way, SVP, I happen to like talking stick. I've had some good times there. It's a nice little casino over there in Phoenix. Look, I don't care if the game goes till 1 in the morning. What I care about is letting everybody huddle up. And there's a simple solution, NBA. All you have to do is turn around and say, if your team, if we hit a replay, if we hit a replay, you have to stand somewhere away from your coaches. Make them go to the other sideline. I don't care if you put cute little dots on the opposite sideline and you make the players stand on the dot apart from each other. Get little chairs over there. Let them lounge. Sell the chair space. Make a little cash. 
but don't let them sit down and strategize. Otherwise, what's the point of having limitations on timeouts? Now, you could argue, obviously, that during that same time, the Clippers were also devising their defense, and let's be real, it didn't work. Fine. But when you start talking about the way the game is approached strategically by coaches and the meaning of timeouts in an NBA game at the end, it's significant. And when the league's going to step in and have a replay, man, if that gives an extra timeout, that gives an advantage. You cannot tell me it didn't change the outcome we saw last night by having the extra timeout to draw up the play. And look, I'm not the only person that feels this way. You know, I love Jay Will on Keyshawn, Jay Will, and Zubin this morning. Jay Williams and Keyshawn talked about the NBA and the need for change. What I hate and a rule that we need to find a way to change is if there is a review and you have no timeouts left, yo, your team can't huddle. Uh, you know, Jay, you, your you team said can't that huddle, as you, as you, you, when you said that in, uh, you just said that, but Allen said that it basically allowed Monte Williams to do whatever he needed to do. Yes. And I said to myself sitting here, I swear to you right now, I said the first thing they need to do, and you said if you don't have any timeouts, but the first thing they need to do is tell the coaches and the players, you can't go over there. You got to stay on the court. You got to stay, stay on the court. I don't care if you have timeouts left. Spain and Fitz, Jason Fitz flying solo tonight. I don't care what your timeout count is. It's not a timeout. It's a review. This is simple. And it applies to all sports. Look, I, don't, I wouldn't care if they did the same thing in the NFL. Make everybody stay where they are, away from the coaches, no matter what. Don't let the quarterback go talk to the coach. I'm fine with that. You can't tell me that at some point these reviews don't have impact, and I want the league to get it right. That's not my issue. Let me be clear. That is not my issue. I don't care if it takes all night to get it right. I don't care about the the letter of the rule, the intent of the law, as so much of the conversation was over the, the end of the game last night. What I care about is giving everybody the opportunity to figure out how they're going to win the game in a way they shouldn't be able to. ESPN Radio, presented by Progressive's Home Insurance. Get your quote at Progressive.com today. What do we usually talk about when it comes to sports and rule changes? It takes an epic moment to force an immediate change. Does it get more epic than a game-winning basket at the end of the conference finals? I don't think so. And that's why, even though I'm usually a proponent for study it, talk about it, negotiate it, have the collectively bargained union talk to the owners and make everybody come together. I'm usually a fan of that whole kumbaya process, but not in this instance. No, because what we've seen is the biggest thing you can see in any sport. A massive playoff game impacted. Impacted greatly by a rule that can easily be changed. This is that moment for a league that we constantly credit for thinking ahead. To step up and say, hey, we saw what happened last night. And while we understand that we allowed that to happen, we're not going to let it happen again. And until they do that, replay in the last two minutes isn't going to be about disrupting the flow of the game. It's going to be about changing the outcome. All right. I'm sp- I sound uh, went off at this point on the NBA. But next up, we're going to talk to an ex-big leaguer, and we're going to sound off on the umpires and what's happening in Major League Baseball. We'll tell you about it next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. 
You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. We're going to head over to the Goodyear hotline. Sometimes things get so explosive in the world of Major League Baseball that I got to call my buddy, JP Aaron Sibia. He joins us. You can check him out on Bally Sports Florida, Marlins analyst. Obviously, JP, super busy tonight. I appreciate you carving out some time, but I had to get your thoughts as uh, we knew it was going to become an unusual situation, let's say it that way, as the sticky substance rules were coming into play. But it's gotten even more unusual than most of us can expect is last night we watched Scherzer get checked three times during the course of the game which has caused all sort of animosity and trash talking between the Nats and the Phillies so as a former player when you see somebody getting checked three times what's your reaction well I think it's a joke and I think that that now the players are making it a joke by coming off the field Sergio Romo yesterday was pretty much taking off his pants as he walked off the field and throwing his hat I mean it's just their players are obviously upset with how it's been handled, and they're making it a mockery. And it's just uh, something that I think is, is going to be changed soon in the sense of they're going to have to revise it, they're going to have to come together and figure it out because you're watching guys come off the field, everyone's being checked, and then you can, you know, what happens if a guy's dealing during a game and all of a sudden you're, you're, that random check like that gets him out of a game or, or the guy who just gave up 10 runs in, the, in an inning, five runs, and he doesn't want, you know, you're gonna, now you're going to check him for substance because you think that he was cheating, like, it's just something that is, uh, I think that they're making a, you know, a mockery of, and it's kind of uh, something that, I don't know, I think it's kind of embarrassing for the game. So how should it have been handled by Major League Baseball? Well, listen, there's, was there a problem? Yes. After talking to guys, that, that, that spider tack and all these different things, there was, a, there was a big difference in the way that it was being done. Obviously, in anything, with analytics and numbers, you can put on substances and, and, and get – real-time data on throwing a pitch and see, okay, is my spin rate this on this pitch? Well, then let's put a little bit more. Now my spin rate's this. And so, yes, there was an issue. But what I always said was, why don't you have one substance that everybody can touch behind, behind the mound, right? Which you would think, like, okay, maybe that'll work. But you can't police it in the dugout. That pitcher's going to have to come into the dugout. And what's to say that he doesn't put something on in the dugout? So my answer to that is it's a really tough thing to – to really nail down because even rosin, which is the rosin bag behind the mound, if you if you sweat and you touch that rosin, your hands become sticky immediately. So now what? Now you're gonna have rosin? Like what's the what what's the the deal? So it's gonna get sticky regardless. And they don't they don't even know because they're talking about if you have gum or a lozenge in your mouth, you can't go to your mouth because then that can create stickiness. But I mean, at, at what point is it? ridiculous to where you, now you're not going to be able to do anything on the mound. You might as well be a, a robot, can't, can't do anything, can't even have a dry hand. So it's a real tough situation to really crack down on. We're talking to J.P. Aaron Sibby on Spain and Fitz, Jason Fitz flying solo, and I've never felt more like an athlete than I do now just because, you know, you use rosin on a fiddle bow. So I feel like we're talking the same language, J.P. <laughs> it's the one time. Now, in all seriousness, one thing that you really taught me, and I'll always remember just sitting down talking to you about the mental aspect of the game, especially in baseball. When you start talking about checking somebody multiple times and, and really interrupting their flow, like it seems fairly obvious to me that managers are going to start using this as some way to get in the heads of people throughout the course of the game, right? Like It just feels like at some point that there is competitive advantage to simply constantly badgering a guy when you can because you might get in their head. 100%. And then if, if I'm a manager and they do it to my pitcher, what do you think that I'm going to do? I'm going to do it right back to their guys. And it's gonna, then it becomes... An actual, you know, an elementary 
show of, of oh, you did it to us, so we're going to do it back to you. And, and I mean, the, the umpire had to run his hands through Max Scherzer's hair. Like, are we serious? The guy's sweating. Like, you're going to run your hands through his hair, and that's going to be, you know, how you can decipher if he has something. I mean, what happens if you wore hair gel to come to the field? Like, what, now you're not supposed to wear hair gel to come to the field? Like, you know what I'm saying? It just becomes so ridiculous. And then, again, you start messing with pitchers and you start call, trying to call guys out and the other team's going to do it. It's going to end up – I mean, we only saw it yesterday. Joe Girardi wanted to fight in a sense. I'm sure at some point we'll see, you know, people go back and forth of, shoot, who knows, even bench clearing stuff because it's like – it's just annoying. And it's something that is – obviously the players, I think, showed yesterday how they feel about – what's going on when they're coming off the field and taking off their pants and their belt and kind of making a mockery of it. You know, JP, it's well documented that the Major League Baseball Players Association and the owners don't have a great relationship. If they had a better relationship, do you think they could have come up with a better solution? Um, honestly, I, I just think they don't have a great relationship in business stuff. I think and as far as like some on-field things, but I think that they could have handled it differently. I, I think it's really tough to do that throughout, the, you know, in the middle of a season, to drop something in the middle of the season. Because imagine what people don't remember is you went to the minor leagues, you've gone to the minor leagues, you've pitched in the big leagues, some of these guys for 10 years doing the same thing for however long, same routine. And now they can't do it. So it's like, how does that make sense? And they needed to have a better way of, of really – coming down with it. I think Major League Baseball, what they did is they threw an extreme rule out there. And as I imagine as time goes, they're going to start pulling back and pulling back as opposed to being too weak and having to add. They're going to do it the opposite. And that's what will eventually happen little by little. But you would hope that at some point these two can come together and be civil and, and make better decisions because as of right now, it's a joke. What impact does this have? I mean, I'm talking to a former catcher, and one thing that you always talked about was pitching and how it impacted your job as a catcher. So for catchers that are sitting here and all of a sudden pitchers are having to change everything they do, like what impact does it have for that position? Well, think about it. Now you can't have pine tar. I used to have a pine tar on my shin guard my entire career, and it wasn't for the pitcher. It was because what happens when somebody gets on first base and he steals on the first pitch? Like I wanted to have a grip on the ball, and my hands are dry, my hands are wet, the ball's already a slick ball. Major League Baseball doesn't have high seams. It is a slick baseball. That's why guys use sticky stuff. And so now I can't – now it affects me because I needed to be able to touch my, my shin guard to get a little grip on my finger and my fingertips so that if that guy stole on the first pitch, I had a good grip to try to throw him out at second base or a bunt, and I had to go out there and, and have a good grip to throw you know, that ball to first base. So now fielders that have been used to having that their entire career – they can't have it on there. So it's just – it really puts a, a weird damper on everybody. And, again, in the middle of the season, you just throw it on guys. It makes it a lot tougher to make the adjustment. And so, I don't know. I imagine we'll see some crazier things. We'll see some people make more mockery of it and get upset and, and call for change. And then eventually it'll change. It's almost like that rule back in the days when they changed the – you know, guys were catching baseballs, running into the fence three steps later and then dropping the ball and them saying like, Oh, nope. They didn't keep the full possession until they got the ball to their hands. And, and, and then they finally said, okay, this is ridiculous. Like we can't do this anymore. Like double plays. If a guy bobbled it, they would call it safe instead of on the transfer. And then they had to go back and change the rules. So I imagine that's what's going to happen with this because it's kind of a joke. 
Yeah, the thing they need to do is get it figured out before the playoffs in the World Series. The last thing we need is this happening there. You guys can follow him on Twitter, at JP Aaron Sibian 9 Obviously, you can check him out on Bally Sports Florida on the broadcast for the Marlins. As always, my friend, I appreciate your expertise, your insight. Stay safe, stay well. Thanks for hanging out with me. All right, be good. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. If you missed it last night... Uh, It turned into controversy when Max Scherzer was searched three times for different sticky substances as part of the Major League Baseball crackdown on pitchers putting anything on their hands that could create some sort of change to the grip of baseballs. And that has created tremendous uh, conversation between everybody involved. We'll start by giving you a little sense here of what Joe Girardi was thinking. Joe Girardi uh, was asked specifically why he felt the need to search Scherzer or ask for the search multiple times, and this is what he said. I've seen Max a long time, since 2010. Um, Obviously, he's going to be a Hall of Famer. Um, But I've never seen him wipe his head like he was doing tonight, ever. Um, Going like this, right? So it was suspicious for me. He did it about four or five times. it was suspicious. I didn't mean to offend anyone. I just got to do what's right for our club. I didn't mean to offend anyone. I mean, we ended up with the yelling match in the middle of a baseball game as Scherzer was just heated when he was being checked. Yet it didn't mean to offend anyone. I'm not the only one that coughs and says, hmm, not sure I'm buying that. Mike Rizzo, the Nationals GM, was on 106.7 The Fan and said this about Joe Girardi. That was his goal. Uh, he's a con artist. He, 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 he got you... He got you in the in the con, so uh, <laughs> you believe it, and uh, that's that's just the way, that's the way it is. He's been doing that for years. I mean, he just flat out calls him a con artist, and this is what we're going to end up with because at some level, again, you have to think about the worst possible person when you make a rule. What's the one person going to do that could try and get around this thing? And at some level, when you see pitchers being inspected every time they come off the mound, you have to ask what it does to their psyche, what it does to whatever momentum they have. You talk about how it's such a psychological game with baseball, about what it means for everybody that's in that moment trying to focus and trying to get that mojo going. Can't even talk to some pitchers. Don't look at me. But now you're going to get to pat me down repeatedly. And I get it the first time. I get it the second time. But at some point, human nature makes it offensive. This is true in all walks of life. I mean, realistically, if you're in a relationship with somebody and you have absolutely nothing to hide and they walk up one day and say, I want to see your phone. Cool. You can see my phone all day, every day. But does that mean that you won't then say, hey, question, why do you want to see it? You don't you, you don't trust me? Well, now you add competitiveness to this. So you think I'm not capable of pitching the way I'm pitching? You think that I can't do this? Or are you just trying to make sure that I get jacked with every single time possible? Either way, the blatant disrespect that comes from that is going to create this level of tension. Now, I love drama as much as anybody, but realistically, you've got to understand that this isn't the type of drama anybody wants during the World Series. And that's the ultimate thing that we have to have our eyes on here. What does all of this mean if Major League Baseball can't get it under control right away? It means when casual fans start paying attention, they're going to see the worst of the worst come out from multiple people. That's why baseball needs to look at this again right away 
and figure out a better solution. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Jason Fitz flying solo tonight. Now, obviously we're short because we're getting you into the Hawks and the Bucks game one of the Eastern Conference Final. Now, there is one thing I absolutely agree with, and it's Stephen A. on his take on how this series is going to go. If Giannis just puts up a regular performance and the rest of the Milwaukee Bucks perform, Milwaukee's fine. Trey Young's holding their playoff hopes in his hands. He's got to be spectacular, not just as a scorer, but as a setup man for the other bodies. The Capellas of the world, the Collins of the world, the Herders of the world, all, all the others. Bogdanovich, of course. He's got to do it because that's their only hope. Outside of that, I see this series ended in five games. And I think he's absolutely right. I see this series ending in five games. Uh, absolutely. Now, that being said, I've been wrong about the Hawks every single series, but I've been right about the Bucks. So at some point, it all has to level out. As much as I agree with Stephen A. on his take on this series, I, can't, I disagree as strongly with first take that had harsh words for cities not named Atlanta and the Clippers. If you were watching first take, there's been a lot of conversation about their overall conversation that they had about the cities they don't want to see advance because Phoenix and Milwaukee are not as fun as Atlanta and L.A. Now, all I can say is this. I've spent more time in Milwaukee than most people. That's true. Milwaukee is an absolute hub for the music industry. Country music does really well in Milwaukee. In my touring days, uh, I would look, and when we would see Milwaukee was going to be on the calendar, you'd circle it. You'd circle it because you knew it was going to be an incredible experience. And you think about Summerfest, which is, for anyone not familiar, the largest music festival in the world. Takes place in Milwaukee. The people, the bars, the scene, the food. I always joke on this show about the Calderon Club because it's the best Italian food I've ever had anywhere in my life. And that includes Italy. Multiple trips. There is so much to so many cities. And what happens for most of us is we get geared into the cities we love. I love Las Vegas from there. I love going to Vegas. I spent 20 years living in in Nashville. I love Nashville. I make no bones about those things. But when I moved to Connecticut for ESPN, everybody told me how bad it was going to be. I found a lot that I love up here. What we need to do right now, if you're in the NBA, is we need to be embracing the fact that non-traditional markets are in this situation. This is what we hoped for when Giannis decided to sign the Supermax and stay in Milwaukee. This is what we hoped for. And the worst thing we can do right now is make any argument that one of these cities is less than the other. I'll tell you this just because I'm being real with you. I don't particularly like traveling to Atlanta. Love Atlanta sports teams, that's fine. Atlanta's not necessarily my favorite place to go hang out and spend time. If I had to make the choice between right now hopping on a plane and flying to Atlanta or flying to Milwaukee personally, I would fly to Milwaukee. I love that place. Doesn't mean Atlanta's not great. But when people start to judge different cities, based on the preconceptions that they have of what those cities were a generation ago or what those cities may have been when you just came through for a night, you might not have a full picture. Milwaukee, man, I remember Nashville. And I remember so vividly working for 102.5 The Game, the ESPN affiliate in Nashville, when in the middle of the Preds' run to the Stanley Cup final. Now, we were the Preds' affiliate. And one of the most incredible things I'll ever remember. I chose not to use my media pass to go inside the building during the Stanley Cup final one day 
because I wanted to sit out on the concourse with all of the fans that were jumping up and down and screaming and hugging and yelling and partying. And that was the moment that the rest of the sports world saw Nashville differently. The rest of the NHL saw Nashville differently. All from that one run. Milwaukee has that opportunity right now. Milwaukee, a team unlike Phoenix that doesn't have any recent success to that level, Milwaukee has the opportunity to become the darling of the league. And it's a shame if anybody with platform chooses to downplay that. Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can listen to the show weeknights at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app.